Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. You are chopping it up with Chuck. I am the editor-in-chief of Cannabis and Tech Today, and we have a very special guest today. We are going to get science-y. We are going to talk a little bit of extraction, and we have with us Patrick Hyland, the president of Nextraction. How are you doing, Patrick? Pretty good. Thank you for having me today. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, really excited to talk to you. We've had... Um, uh, different people on before to discuss extraction, but I figured we're going to go in a different direction because um, with you at your company, you guys specialize in water extraction? That is correct. Yes, we do nothing but water extraction. Uh, we don't touch CO2, ethanol, any other method. It is purely a water-based process. Um, got and it's, you. it's been a lot of fun. Okay, so now can you can you take us backwards to go forward? Just give us kind of the snapshot version for the people that aren't, um, you know, super familiar with the world of extraction. Um, just give kind of like a little overview on what the typical extraction process is. You know, like you mentioned, CO2, I think is the predominant one. Um, and then just speak a little bit about um, what makes you guys so different and what, what is uh, different about the process. Yeah, definitely. So uh, just like a little overview of, of extraction, um, it kind of goes back to, you know, this was everybody came out of the, you know, their closets and were building and designing stiff stuff when it was illegal. So everybody used butane, CO2, stuff that was easy to get their hands on. Um, and so you had a lot of these extractors come out and, and start building bigger systems when this industry really became legalized. Um, and, you know, people had talked about doing like rosin press and bubble hash, and that's been around for a very long time. Um, but mm -hmm. no one had really figured out an industrial way to extract. Um, and we were kind of lucky enough to be introduced to this water-based concept and, uh, you know, kind of growing upon it. We, we learned that this could be the right method to go forward and push this industry in the right direction. I mean, there's a lot of dangers with, with CO2 and ethanol with you know, you've had previous uh, folks on your podcast say, you know, residual solvents and pesticides and heavy metals can be present in extracts. And then, you know, consumers can be, you know, exposing themselves to that and, you know, potentially ingesting it. So we kind of took this different approach when we, you know, when we were introduced to it. Um, and so we have a solvent free, no hydrocarbons, no polar solvents process. Um, and we're going to stand firm in that. We're never going to introduce our product and or our process to any of these nasty, harsh chemicals that are being used, the heptanes, the hexanes. Um, and it comes back to the safety of, of the consumer, the people that are actually going to be consuming this, you know, the memas, the grandmas, omas, opas, and even yeah. the kids. Uh, and so a, a bit about our process. Um, so it's, it uses water again. Um, we built the first ever that I know of mobile extraction system, kind of we nicknamed it Clifford. That's a 26-foot like enclosed red and black cargo trailer. And it was really, we built it out of my garage. And uh, from there, it was like our research and design. We didn't have a space at that time. So we wanted something that was mobile that we could take to the farms and do a lot of testing. And uh you know, did you have did you have outside investors or did you guys were you kind of bootstrapped? You know, when you're coming up with this, what 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 sort so of we gave you that launch here? So we were bootstrapped to start this. I mean, this was my partner and I. We I've invested every penny I've ever made into this. 
I'm, I'm a firm believer. And so we've built literally everything that we have has been built by our team. We don't buy anything from outside sources. We build it ourselves. I mean, I just we want to take a different approach to this more of the industrial like large scale approach, um, which I, I, you know, ethanol and, and CO2, they say they can do that, but you're talking about a greenhouse gas and then alcohols and polar solvents. Um, and by golly, I can go anywhere in the world with our system and process. You give me water and I will process hemp for you anywhere in the world. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's all I need really to process is water and a little bit of electricity. Um, so ice, is it ice water? No, it's not ice water. It's wow. this met. So this method, um, that kind of in the innovation of this, this is not a method you're going to find anywhere. You I was going to say, I did a little research and yeah, I saw that with water, it had to involve ice water and you were just getting the, um, that method was what just, uh, the trichomes yep. is all that you get with the ice water method. So, mm -hmm. um, okay. So your method is not the ice water method. And no. do you just get the trichomes or do you get all the goodies? I get all the goodies. So we have a full spectrum, uh, like distillate powder is what I would uh, compare okay. to. There's really no, uh, in the industry, there's no comparison. We've had trouble like defining what it is. And so we've, we've taken our end product to a mass spec lab and to uh, done NMR studies with it and to tr truly understand what's in our product. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we're all about bringing safe products, but I mean, on a first pass through our system, so one pass through our system, we can typically get between like a 70% total concentration of cannabinoids and the highest we've ever gotten was 97% on a single pass through our system, um, wow. which is really unheard of. And I mean, the goal of this is we get this beautiful powder that, that comes out and it's uh, depending on the plant and the material and the age, it comes out, you know, different shades of like a lightish brown and, and, you know, it can sometimes get a little white, but I mean, the big thing too is, is when we process fresh hemp, we get really high concentrations in of t total cannabinoids. So we get all of your isoterpenes, your flavonoids, um, your THCA, your CBDA, um, your CBGA, CBD. Uh, the big thing that we're really pushing though is we extract the acidic precursors. So your CBDA, your CBGA, there's not a ton of information out there and there hasn't been a lot of studies on it yet. Um, but, you know, it's slowly starting to come and there's great medical promise around the acidics. And up until last year, it really wasn't thought possible that you could extract um, the acidic precursors. It was thought to be an unstable molecule. Um, so so wait a second. So uh, you guys, you know, this is totally new. This is new technology. This is really cutting edge stuff. And this is exactly what we want to have on Cannabis Tech Talks. Um, mm -hmm. You guys are bootstrapped. You start in, you know, the garage. What was the inspiration behind this technology? Because, you know, obviously you've got a passion for it and you mm -hmm. wanted to do things the right way. Keep the chemicals out. You know, sustainability is probably part of your ethos, you know, yep. and, and, and what you guys are doing. But um, where did you get the, the X's and O's, you know, to, to uh, put something like this together? Uh, that's, that's always a good question. I mean, for me, it kind of comes back starting when I was a kid. My dad um, was diagnosed with arthritis and had, you know, chronic medical conditions. And, you know, living in, in the state of Washington here, they had medical cannabis going way back. So I've been exposed to it my whole life. And I've kind of watched personally my father be able to lay off the prescription drugs and the stuff that really, you know, made him not function. Sure. And, uh, you know, he was able to be pain free, but not function. And so what kind of life is that living? And when he started consuming, you know, different 
different forms of cannabis, he was kind of able to return and work and be able to live a life and, you know, kind of help me along the way. And so, you know, from there, it's always been, if I could find a way to make things better, I'm going to do it. Uh, my mm-hmm. whole family has run businesses and been entrepreneurs. And so it's kind of in my blood a little bit that, you know, eventually I would find something. And when I found it, I jumped on it and this kind of was it. I mean, previously I was a, I guess, a sales engineer. So I was exposed to food and beverage industries, pharmaceutical industries, oil and gas. I mean, you name it into the industries, I've probably been there and done solutions for them, whether it be valves, automation, filtration, um, heat and control. I mean, I've kind of been across all the industries here, you know, from Colorado West, I've pretty much been into every type of production plant and seen what not to do and what to do. Mm. So I'm really just trying to incorporate all of the, all of the right things that I've seen companies do into our business and this cannabis industry as a whole, you know, marijuana and hemp really lacks a standardization and, and industrial processes and a, a way to go about doing business. And I'm really, we're really trying to provide structure and then move the industry forward in a sustainable way. I mean, our big, we were founded on like a triple bottom line. So, you know, people, planet and profit. Mm-hmm. And so our goal, hopefully by the time I die, I will leave this planet better than I found it. That's our goal with this company is, is very much eco-friendly, you know, low, low emissions. And I, we're going to tr- strive for a carbon neutral footprint. I, you know, it's, we're a long ways off from that right now, but that's the ultimate goal. So, I mean, we're talking about recycling um, our post-extracted biomass since our leaves water is not really damaged like it is in the other processes. Uh-huh. So I've been sending samples out of our spent biomass to all kinds of different companies saying, Hey, what can you do with this? Is there anything that uh, you can you can try and incorporate this with, and so we're we're looking at like hemp paper and the paper manufacturers, um, and you know from that and to recycling compost, we're really just trying to create this circular economy and make sure that we don't have any waste. Um, and it kind of all starts with this new form of extraction. And I I trip up a lot of industry folks when I send them samples of of our product because they go, "This is what is this? How did you do this?" And then can I get some more so I can play around with this? <laughs> so what did, what did you do for research? You know, before you jumped in here, you probably wanted to see what was going on, what, what's in the market. Did you go to some events mm-hmm. where you, you know, uh, reading magazines, you know, looking up online, what did you do before you went, you know, full tilt boogie into this water extraction uh, to kind of do some market research and see what else was going on in the cannabis and hemp industry? So I went to Canacon in Seattle in 2017. Uh, it was a big kind of my first jump into this industry and looking for, you know, what was going on. So I we went to that. And then from there, I just started researching. Uh, our whole team is, is really about just finding all of the, the different articles and what people are saying and the, the downfalls and the, the, the struggles and challenges. And so I, Google was my best friend for a long time. I mean, we do a lot of organic research and that's, I I spend, you know, a good hour every day still trying to find the other innovators out in this space. And, you know, we're looking actively always looking for people changing the status quo in this industry. And um, just because it works right now, doesn't mean it's the right way to go forward. Um, You know, I think that was a big problem that I saw in a lot of industries was they were like the dinosaurs they were slow to move and slow to innovate. And, you know, this is the way we've done it for a hundred years. Let's continue to do it this way. 
And uh, kind of growing up in, in the world I have, you know, we've had 2008, 2009, we had a big economic collapse and now we're looking at another one with this pandemic. Uh, things weren't working the correct way. And so, uh, you know, we're really gonna push the, the social responsibility and, and uh, look for being a green company. And I think that's the way forward that the world needs. I mean, you can look at places in India where they are seeing the mountain, the Himalayas for the first time in 30 years because of this, you know, I hope yeah. this is a, a kick in the right direction. You know, uh, exactly. And, and there's going to be innovation that's going to come through this process, you know, through COVID and, and everything like that. It's inevitable, right? There's going to be industries that are going to be changed. Um, it's a great opportunity for a lot of business owners and a lot of entrepreneurs to look inward and sort of reevaluate everything that they've got going on. You know, is, is this important? I mean, just a simple thing is, you know, do we need an office uh, you know, yes. downtown with some expensive class A space, I guarantee you there are a lot of businesses out there that are realizing, you know what, we don't need to spend, you know, those tens of thousands of dollars every month on rent. Um, and so, you know, industries are going to be transformed. Um, I, I, I wonder, do you think sustainability will be a little bit more important or a little bit more front and center, uh, you know, as we go through this kind of kind of transformation uh, on the other side of COVID? Well, I hope so. You know, the some of the industries and the, the folks that I, you know, I gained, uh, you know, friendships through, they're now working from home. And I think a lot of companies were just afraid that people working from home weren't going to be as productive. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you're seeing a big change in that. And I, I think you know, companies, like you said, are going to embrace that more and they're going to learn that, oh man, I don't have to spend rent money on an office when I can have my folks working from home as long as they have a good internet connection and, and cell phone coverage. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope, you know, they'll become more responsible with their environmental impact. I, I hope. I'm not sure, to be honest. Well, yeah, you know, a lot left I'm gonna, uh, I'm to know. I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I'm a pretty optimistic cat like you. And I thought that this reset, you know, um, no traffic, no smog, uh, you know, uh, mama cooked the breakfast with no hog, you know, everything's going great. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden I'm afraid um, we did a, we did an interview with uh, Jane Goodall um, mm -hmm. for one of our other titles. And she was very pessimistic that as soon as this pandemic is over, that we're going to go right back to business as usual. In fact, maybe they would even double down to try to make up for, you know, lost time. And, and so she's, you know, a pretty smart, <laughs> pretty smart lady. Yeah. And, you know, really knows a lot about what's going on. And, and I'm, I'm excited about seeing industries transform and the opportunity to embrace sustainability. Um, but there's also that, that fear that it could just be, you know, get back to normal and double down uh, from our leaders. And, and really, this is a great opportunity to, like you said, reevaluate things, you know, take a look at how stuff is being done, and embrace sustainability, not just as a good thing to do, um, but because it can be bottom line oriented, you know, it can be strategic. And I think that's where, you know, the two sides come together and sustainability isn't just a good thing to do, but it is, you know, bottom line oriented. And, you know, like you said, the three P's and now all of a sudden, um, maybe it's easier for businesses to embrace that or move in that direction. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, there's, there's a good chance that, that, it could go back to the way it was. I, I think it was broken the way we were going about things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, those, the three P's and, and changing what you focused on and reevaluating your core strategies from, 
your sales strategy to how you manufacture to how you just go about business and as a whole you know i think the younger generations are really looking for people that are environmentally friendly you have i mean you have a lot of people out there that are saying this is you know what are we going to do what about the kids and the future generations i'm i'm almost 30 now and i you know i want to have a family but what 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 world could i live it in or leave it for them it's uh I really want to make sure I leave something behind that is can sustain itself. Um, and I, this method that we have is kind of my personal mission to push this forward. And I hope to change the industry as a whole, because in terms of, of economic viability, this process will change the game completely. The fact that well, I can process fresh hemp is just everybody, every farmer I ever talked to says, can you come to my facility and process for me right now? Uh, you're you know, you're going to be, you're in, to. you're in the hot demand, Patrick. <laughs> I, you know, it's been difficult though. It has been, there has been struggles and, you know, innovators have to kind of carve their own path and go against the grain, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of creating this whole new market. Um, we get asked, you know, why CBDA? Why should I care about it? And it kind of comes back to the education that the consumers are getting. Uh, I think the education that's being um, shown to folks and to the average everyday consumer is not the right information. Um, you know, they're not being educated correctly. And that's and that's a big key. You know, education. The more that you learn, the more that you you know, and then you can apply. You know, this different technology. What what is uh, just for anybody that's listening right now that doesn't know uh, THCA, CBDA. What what is that? The the acids. Yes, the acids. So they're the precursor to the neutral compound CBD or CBG or THC. Okay. Um, they're most prevalent in the plant. Um, so in fact, most of the properly dried and stored biomass, flour, everything that people consume is in the acidic forms usually. Um, they will decarboxylate naturally in the plant, you know, given light or heat. Um, but if they're stored correctly, most of what you consume on the marketplace in terms of dried flour is actually in its THC form. And they go through a process called decarboxylation, which is applying heat or light to it to convert it into the CBD or the THC. Um, it's also important to note that the acidics, they don't have these psychoactive effects that THC does and CBD does. And that's why they're really, in, there's a lot of medical research starting to kind of come around on the acidic precursors. Um, mm-hmm. Like CBDA, for instance, is being uh, explored as a, like a COX-2 inhibitor, um, which is like your Advils, your Tylenols, um, ibuprofen, that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, you're looking at like this big time medicine gap and, you know, these acidics could be, could be a next big medicine for the world. And you're talking about a, from a naturally extracted plant that's really not man-made, um, and you're talking about a little bit of processing in a safe manner that someone can consume. I mean, hemp as in general was kind of here as, as promised as a, a plant to save the world just because of all the properties it has and what you can, there's so many applications for it. Um, and so that's, I mean, I'm hoping we can kind of push the industry that way. Uh, there just hasn't been a lot of research around CBGA or CBDA, um, but uh, Raphael Meshalon, the you know famed Israeli uh, chemist that kind of discovered the endocannabinoid system in CBD uh, last September, posted a discovery about his his form of of CBDA that he figured out how to synthetically make it and make a stable acid, 
it was about the same time we we really discovered and figured out that you know what we have is something special to hold on to and and push out to the world. Um, but he said it might be his greatest discovery uh, beyond CBD itself because there's so many different applications for it, and you know there could be a potential for for little side effects as compared to CBD or THC. This um, is. This is fascinating. I think this is really when, you know, I think everybody that is uh, um, in the cannabis industry has a special relationship with the plant, um, you know, whether it's, it's cannabis or, or hemp or CBD or whatever. But I think when you get into the medical realm, that's where it gets really exciting because now all of a sudden you're not just talking about a personal relationship, you know, with the plant, you're mm -hmm. talking about helping a lot of people. And I think that, um, I think a lot of people are, are interested and excited about the potentials because we're just now scratching the surface, you know, of real good medical research on this. And, uh, I mean, sky's the limit. Oh yeah. I, I completely agree. We've, you know, we've, barely scratch the surface on our understanding of, of cannabis as a whole. We're discovering new compounds every day. We barely explore the terpenes. I mean, the potential here is just limitless. Uh, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of research. We really need the, this medical research to go out. And I mean, we actively push our product into universities for studies, into every person we can find looking to do research. Um, a, I want to get them on board with trying our product and, and, you know, looking into the benefits of it. And then B, I want to give them proper education on the industry because a lot of these researchers don't know how it's extracted or they don't, you know, there's, there's dangers. And, you know, we, we have uh, your uh, president from Extract Lab saying, you know, 30 to 40% of the extracts that they test are, you know, coming back with those heptanes, hexane, residual solvents, uh, pesticides, and heavy metals. Um, and I don't think researchers really understood that or knew that. Um, and, you know, you go back to the vaping crisis. Was it really CBD or THC that was the problem? Probably not. I mean, it could probably be linked to the pesticides or the heavy metals that were present in that oil. Or um, There's a lot of nasty pesticides that are, end up being out there and you know, our process actually we've gone through and started mitigating pesticides and heavy metals um, here here in the next couple of days we're going to be posting a, you know third-party lab, uh, lab data showing that we've mitigated lead and we're looking to mitigate these other pesticides and we're doing that naturally through our process which I think is going to be very important for consumers to have this this promise that what they're consuming isn't going to have those heavy metals or those pesticides I I don't know about you, but I don't want to give anything to my, you know, 92 year old grandmother that might have pesticides or heavy metals in it. Um, there's, we got to protect a, Gam Gam. Yes. Gotta, oh yeah. <laughs> don't let her have those heavy metals and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I was going to say the, I, I think the older generation is really starting to look for these alternative medicines, if you will. Yeah. And that's kind of where hemp lies in between snake oil and like this Eastern alternative medicine. And, you know, to bring it to the forefront, we got to really get buy-in from the medical community and get the research behind it to show that, hey, this is actually, you need to take this seriously. And it could be something that really helps you and, and not a man-made drug. Okay, Patrick, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, we got to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, but we'll be right back. And I want to talk to you when we get back a little bit more about efficacy, purity, um, and what people should demand and expect from products that they're consuming 
uh, right after we take this short break. So we'll be right back right after these messages. This episode of Cannabis and Tech Talks is brought to you by PolyScience, changing the world of temperature control again. With over 50 years in developing precision temperature control, PolyScience is your number one choice in circulators, chillers, recirculating coolers, water baths, and other application-specific products. PolyScience's lineup is designed to simplify tasks, take up less space, and integrate seamlessly with your existing industrial botanical extraction equipment. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cannabis Tech Talks. You are chopping it up with Chuck, and we are here with Patrick Hyland, the president of Nextraction. Uh, we've been talking about his water extraction process, uh, sustainability, uh, talking about some of the, uh, uh, the benefits uh, with medical research that's going on with, uh, with cannabis and with these different compounds. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit, Patrick, about why does it matter that the product is so pure if people are getting the results they want you know, from their different types of consumption? I mean, it might sound like a stupid question, but you know, if, if people are happy with what they've got, why does it need to be changed? Why does it need to be more pure? Um, what, what can you say to speak to that? Well, I think it comes back to, um, I mean, just the industry as a whole. If you can deliver a more pure product, um, you have less chance of getting sick from compounds in there. You know, the, we coming back to the residuals of pesticides and heavy metals. Um, you know, I, I think personalized medicine, if you will, is going to be kind of the future of this. And, you know, it'll be uh, dependent on your given genotype, your DNA, because everybody reacts a little bit differently to the same strains, the same type of compounds. Um, so being able to purify and select, uh, you know, for, for different ailments, I want some pure CBDA mixed with CBD or some CBG being able to purify those in a way that doesn't um, doesn't involve ethanol or these nasty solvents is, is really going to be crucial moving forward. And it's going to come, you're going to see studies about people consuming this um, here, you know, eventually that CO2, ethanol, these other extraction methods, they're really, while you can get high purities and there is remediation of pesticides and heavy metals, if you can do it a different way that never involves those, why wouldn't you do that? And then, uh, it's, it's going to be a, a big deal, I think, moving forward is, is isolation of each of the major uh, cannabinoids. Um, and so finding ways to isolate and give people just what they need mm -hmm. uh, for certain ailments is going to be important. Right now, I mean, there is isolation, but, you know, you're talking about some of these minor cannabinoids that, you know, up until the, this big crash this last year, you were talking about like $75,000 a kilo for some CBN or CBC, some crazy, you know, yeah. and that's at that point, is that really cost effective for the people to purchase? No. Right. I mean, getting good CBD uh, a year ago was expensive. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was not inexpensive. You know, if, if you compare it to like buying a, a bottle of vitamins or, you know, some different uh, health supplement that you're taking, um, if you wanted to get the good stuff, it was, uh, it was not cheap. No. Yeah. It was, it's very expensive. And, you know, if you want mainstream buy-in, you're going to have to bring these down to, to prices where people were paying for bottles of Tylenol or, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. You got to, you have to figure out uh, more effective, efficient ways of, of extraction and then ways to isolate these, uh, these compounds in a, in a safe manner um, that, you know, that's why we kind of follow GMP protocols and we're working on our GMP certification um, this industry really doesn't require it here. The FDA has, has been, uh, has lacked clarity. 
And that's really disrupted the industry as a whole because you have people out there saying whatever they want to say and extracting in their garage or in their basement um, and selling it to, to people without really doing testing or understanding the potential side effects. Um, so, you know, and that's, that's the other big issue that this industry, we don't know how CBD or these other uh, compounds interact with current medications. And I think that's a big pause from the medical industry right now. And so um, getting this adapted and more mainstream and acceptable um, in terms of isolation is going to be important. Hey, let, let's go back real quick to, to, cause I think this is fascinating. I mean, we could do a whole segment just on personalized medicine, but mm -hmm. basically what you were saying was, and, and I'm, I'm starting to hear a lot more about this now is uh, you know, two people, the same exact strain, they're going to have different effects because the people themselves are different. They're wired differently, different genes, different, everything like that. Is that, is that kind of the basis of, uh, you know, personalized medicine, why, you know, the same strain, one person will get energy and excited. The other person gets sleepy and tired. Um, is, 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 is that basically yeah. what we're talking about here? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's finding, I mean, everybody's different. There is, you know, the identical twins maybe and stuff like that, but everybody's wired just slightly differently. And uh, you see it in other forms of research right now where like cancer research, they're doing personalized genome studies to find mm. the best route of of treatment for folks. Um, and that the CBDA, for instance, is uh, one that there's been promising research around it killing uh, breast cancer cells. Wow. Uh, it's promising research. It's still research at this point. Sure. And, you know, we, we need to prove more data points, but this affects everybody a little bit differently. And so we need to get a better understanding, more data points from having more people do trials and understand how that, you know, I guess it's really going to start anecdotally with, you know, surveys and mm -hmm. people judging their feedback. But that's why someone could, you know, smoke a smoke a joint and one person could have the best time of their life. and The other one could be balled up in a corner, you know, having an anxiety attack. Um, it just affects you differently. And so the personalized medicine, if we can find a way to kind of map that out. Yeah. and understand how it works for everybody. Oh, that, that'll be the, the key for, for moving this forward. Uh, every person in the world's got an endocannabinoid system. So this is a potential treatment for the seven plus billion people we have on this planet. You know, um, that, that, that makes sense too, because when I was, when I was growing up and me and my friends, you know, we, we enjoyed cannabis. There was, there was always one in the group you know, and I remember one particular who was like, yeah, I just, I, I think I'm allergic to it. You know, I just, I can't smoke it. You know, every time I do, I get a really bad headache, you know, I feel really sick. And uh, that, that could be just the way that he's wired, the way that he's set up. And so cannabis was off the menu for, uh, for him, you know, the whole time coming up and we didn't think much about it, but that could be an example of where he just didn't have a good experience, no matter what strain. And it just was, uh, it was just the way that it, his system was set up. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There's, there's some friends. Uh, in fact, my fiance, she's never touched it in her whole life. Really? She's not once, not, not one time. Uh, she is, I mean, she's a forensic psychologist, so she deals with folks, you know, she's, they talk about these dabbing incidents where people get into psychosis and stuff like that. They think from dabbing, but I really think it's from the other compounds present in the, the quote unquote dabs. But I mean, the dabs I've seen people do, there's, there's no reason for someone to consume that much in one little puff, you know. Um, you look into the countries like Israel, they're starting to uh, 
come out with like clinical and medical devices that give precise dosing like inhalers and they're yes. starting to, to trend that data and, you know, having that data and having that understanding really will move the industry forward uh, and in the right direction. It's baby steps, right? Baby I mean, oh, yeah. it's yeah, uh, go fire. Uh, there's a couple others that make inhalers here that are, that are really working on being able to, um, you know, find an exact dose and be able to, again, it's anecdotal, but get, get crowdsourced information from the people that have used it on what the responses they got so they can start aggregating data. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's definitely a first step, but you know, let me ask you, are we, is this just in our bubble that we're really excited about these, you know, medical applications and, and all these things like that? Because it seems like outside the cannabis industry, um, still a lot of doctors and, and researchers and stuff, they just, you know, they just don't, I don't know if, if respect is the right word, but they maybe just aren't as into the research because it hasn't been available or, or whatever it is. Um, is, is this being taken seriously all the way across the board with all the different researchers and stuff, or is it still kind of within our bubble that we're, we're pushing the ball down the field? I, I still think we're within our bubble and we're pushing the ball down our field, but you know, I think this is a, a generational thing as well. Hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the doctors and, and older folks, they grew up in a world that this wasn't allowed. And so they still have that stigma of yeah. you know, the de the devil's lettuce. And, yeah. uh, but you look to the other countries in Europe and stuff like that, that are pushing this forward. Um, they're, they're embracing it and you're starting to see more medical applications, um, you know, and I think the more information and data we push and, and show people, the harder it's going to be for them to not respond to it or say, oh, you know, this is hooey and you're, you're selling snake oil. Um, I think we're pushing the ball down the field in the right direction. It's going to take a lot more work. Uh, and that's something we're really pushing on really hard is, is pushing the researchers, pushing the doctors to try and take this seriously. And I think, you know, the, the fact that we can now extract acidics is going to lend itself to some even more uh, research. And, um, you know, my fiance, again, she, she, she struggles with understanding some of the research, but we go for peer reviewed articles. Um, our, one of our partners, Nicole Foss, she's a registered nurse on our team. Uh -huh. And so she really helps us find these peer reviewed articles that we can share with doctors and, and, folks in the industry. And I really think it's those peer reviewed, real scientific studies that are going to convince doctors to kind of take it seriously. And while the anecdotal evidence is the first step, you know, mm -hmm. to kind of get this research going, that next step is, is like everybody says, is that really hard research, double blind studies and, and really studying it objectively and not, not so much subjectively. And, um, and it's important that what gets put out there is right. You know, we're right in yes. the middle of, of COVID right now. And there's a couple of examples of where, uh, you know, information got out. It was embraced by the media. It was embraced by the, the medical community. I'll give you an example. Uh, when, this, when this first started kicking off, they were like, don't take ibuprofen. Whatever you do, ibuprofen makes it worse. You know, they were like, we have figured this. And then they went back and they looked at it and it was not you know, a real study or anything like that. I think it was like a, like an opinion and somehow it got picked up and then everybody just kind of ran with it. It's important, you know, like we were talking earlier that we do want to push the ball down the field, but we also want to get it right and make sure that doctors and nurses um, are comfortable with the information they're giving, that it's not being 
you know, just fast track through it, it like some other things have yep. happened through the media, through pop culture. You know, it's really important that we get this right because we don't want to, uh, we don't want to oversell it, you know, and then have to walk the dog back. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's a big problem. I think with this industry is you have a lot of these retail brands that really mm -hmm. don't, they, they have everybody's, everything is made for them. And all they have is this retail brand. They don't know any of the science or anything like that. And they're out there educating the consumers. So there's a lot of misinformation, if you will, uh, and a lot of good information, but it, it gets clouded by all of the bad information. You had some folks in the industry say, you know, that CBD will, will cure your, the COVID-19 and stuff like that. And that just puts black eyes in the industry uh, and, and really turns us more into a snake oil industry. I, I, I believe it's on the industry itself to self-police. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you're looking at the government. They're not really policing other than making claims. So it's really on, on companies like ourselves to push the right information forward and make sure that our message is heard in the correct manner. And so people, the consumers get the buy on and it's the information they need, not, not the information that they want to hear. Um, do you find it do you find it ironic that the government that likes to be involved with so many aspects of our lives especially if it benefits them have really taken this strange hands-off approach when it comes to you know cannabis and CBD yeah it's legal here and it's not legal here there and things like that but it just seems like they're really just letting it go on the back burner and do its thing every once in a while there's a little flare up so they jump in and they say hey don't make false claims, you know, stuff like that. But really, um, as far as all the possibilities as a medicine, as a job creator, you know, as a, a tax revenues, you know, I mean, just all the different, I just find it weird that the federal government, you know, maybe they're busy, they're focusing on other things. I don't know. They've just really taken a hands-off approach to what could be an absolute game changer across so many different, different levels. Does it, does it seem just kind of ironic to you when they're supposed to be the ones looking for solutions and new ideas yeah. and facilitating opportunity for the people? Yeah, no, I, it's, it's really ironic that they're, but it, you know, I think it comes back to the, what the median stigma? age of, yeah, the stigma, the stigma mm -hmm. of our politicians. They're what most of them are in their fifties, sixties, seventies, a lot of, they're a lot older and there's a, a, not a lot of younger politicians in there. Um, so you have just this negative stigma. And so uh, here in the state of Washington, we we had trouble getting our, our license here for extraction. I mean, we we knocked on the doors of every major, you know, the, the liquor cannabis control board here and then the uh, agricultural board as well. And they everybody was hands off. Sorry, that's not us for the CBD side of things, you know, and we just ran around in circles trying to get someone to give us a, a research license and, and kind of get the ball rolling and starting. But it's very much been a hands-off approach and especially in the state of Washington where we legalized cannabis here, you know, Colorado and us were the, you know, the first States to really legalize it. Um, and it's, it's very interesting that we were so for like the marijuana, but now the CBD it's been just kind of hands off and let people go about their business. I think they need to step in though and kind of help standardize. And if they're not going to do it, it's, it's on the industry itself. And, so far, it's been mixed a mixed bag um, in terms of uh, people wanting to jump in and self-police. But I, there's a lot of great people out in this industry that have no problem stepping in and saying what you're doing is wrong um, and, and kind of self-policing everything. And uh, we're really, we're a firm believer 
and they pushing. really can bungle everything though. You know, when you think about it, you know, the oh. government and, and we think, Hey man, they're going to come in here wearing the white hat, riding the white horse. And you know, they're just going to make everything smooth and, and, yeah. and fast line this. And that's not the case. You know, a no. lot of times they, they bungle it, you know, they just completely make it clunky and just mm -hmm. get in the way. It's, it's almost like a double edged sword, right? Yeah. I mean, it is very much even, in, and I, you know, we're, prepping for when they come in it's it's not going to be perfect and we're going to have to yeah. figure out workarounds and and i mean this industry is very much the outlaw industry right now if you mm -hmm. really think about it we're we're all outlaws in this industry unfortunately it's the wild west yeah and and i'm hoping to drag it along and bring it more into the you know modern era where we have standard procedures standard protocols and we have the testing that's required um you know not only for for your concentration made, but your flour and all that. So we really have this, this circular economy that, that self-polices itself and, and shows what it could be. And, you know, if we can do that, I think it provides, uh, you know, a good foundation for the government to come in and, and help regulate. But we also have to share the information that we're finding with the federal government. And I think some people are really nervous about sharing their information. A lot of companies hide all their information and keep it to themselves. And, I'm still a firm believer in trying to share as much as possible. Everybody's got their secret Kind of open sauce. source. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have to push this forward uh, any way we can. So I'm, I'm hoping we can, you know, push it the right way. And uh, I hope the government does come in and bring some standardization because there is a lot of snake oil salesmen out there still. And, and you know, 2020 will be a big shakeout year for a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, I, I think the ones that put, proper education and proper protocols and SOPs into development and, you know, do this the right way. We'll be here to stay because eventually people will find what they like and, and stand behind companies that do the right things. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer in that. So. I, I, I love, I love what you're cooking. Uh, I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense and it's cool to have somebody like you on our show uh, from my home state of Washington. You're representing <laughs> up there. Uh, you guys are kicking ass. You're innovating. Uh, you're being sustainable. I mean, this is, this is really cool. And in fact, tell the audience where we found you, like how uh, we connected to be on here. Cause it's kind of a, it's kind of an ironic uh, situation. So I, yeah. So I, we actually connected via LinkedIn and it was, um, I want to, I can't remember the actual post, but it was, uh, you guys had posted out that you were helping everybody in the industry with, you know, some marketing and branding information. And I'm always about finding resources and outside perspectives to make sure that what we're doing is, is the right, you know, hopefully the right step and in, in understanding if it isn't, what did I do wrong and how can I fix it? And so I think I reached out to you guys via LinkedIn or an email and we had a quick conversation and you went, holy gosh, you guys are totally different than anything yeah. I've heard, <laughs> heard of. Yeah. So it was, no, it was cool. It was, it was our program, you know, that we launched about a month ago. We were all sitting in here locked at home, like everybody else. And we were mm -hmm. like, what can we do? There's no events. Uh, we lost a bunch of our newsstand distribution. You know, what can we bring to the table? And that's when we launched Canatech today, Canatech tomorrow, which was just our small, small, tiny way of trying to help some businesses, some consulting, you know, directory listings, things like that. Um, and yeah, we connected, uh, and I, and it was really cool that this was something that we did as kind of our 
small, small little way to give back to the industry to help out. And it ends up coming full circle, you know, you having this great story, you know, coming on our podcast, you know, giving our audience something really cool to chew on. Uh, so I just want to thank you. I, I think it's awesome. Um, there is a lot of connection that's being done in the industry right now. There's a great opportunity to build partnerships, you know, to reach out, you know, to find new things, you know, education, advocation, all that stuff is happening right now. So uh, yeah, I just think it's really cool that we were able to connect. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, I think this is a hell of a story and I hope that it inspires some people that are listening to, to, you know, get involved, to possibly reach out to you, you know, to push their dream, their project forward, uh, to embrace sustainability. In fact, why don't you uh, let the audience know what's the best way for them to be able to reach out to you, uh, you know, contact you, find out what's going on with, uh, with you and Extraction. Definitely, definitely. So um, you can go onto her website, which is nextraction.com. Um, or you can reach out to us via LinkedIn or our social media accounts. We have an Instagram and a LinkedIn and a Facebook account. Um, granted, we are not as active as we would like to be on all of those, but we're working on a lot of uh, different educational programs. And I'm always happy to have anybody, any conversation with anybody. And to the listeners out there, we're a small business. There's only six or seven of us, really. Uh, but a good team and a good foundation, you can change the world and, and you know, don't stop believing in yourself. Just keep pushing. Uh, that's uh, and oh, of course, my email is is Patrick at an extraction.com. It's very simple. If any, I'm always open to talk to anybody. So yeah, Nextraction, N-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-I-O-N. N-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-I-O-N. So extraction with an N in front of it. I feel like I'm in a spelling bee. I feel like I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a good speller, so I, yeah, that's neither. not where I should be. I should not be in yeah. a spelling bee. No, um, neither should I. <laughs> Patrick, it has, been, it has been a pleasure. I hope to uh, connect with you when I get back up to Washington sometime. And make sure you let me know if your fiance ever decides to uh, uh, you know, try, try cannabis <laughs> or anything like that. Maybe an edible. You know, maybe just kind of like a little, little baby step. Sometimes that's a good uh, first you know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try. I've been, yeah. you know, I've been working on her for a year and I haven't, I've almost gotten her one Those time. little gummy bears. They just look, they're so inviting, you know, they just, <laughs> they really are. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many different forms and, and, uh, I just haven't found the right one for her. Maybe it's brownies or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they chocolate. got truffles, man. They got everything. There's, there's, yeah, anything you could imagine. Um, <laughs> well, anyways, thank you so much, Patrick. Hey, everybody, thank you for joining us for this episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. I hope your mind was blown a little bit. Uh, we got some really good science in here. We got to talk about medicine. We got to talk about sustainability. Uh, so make sure that if you like this episode, go ahead and click the like button, uh, share with your friends, make sure you subscribe, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Uh, we've got all the uh, uh, social media going on out there. Uh, it's Canatech today, so make sure that you stay in the conversation. And uh, again, we, we really appreciate you joining us. We will see you on the next episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. I'm Chuck Warner, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much.